It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. To quote today's special guest, Dr. Mark E. Klein, in his book, Franklin Rock, it is both foolish and unnecessary to worry about our choices. There is no such thing as a best or right choice. That is because any choice we make will be influenced by the billions of other choices made every day. There is no way to know the outcome of any single choice. There is no single way for things to work out. Choices made by you and others will simply create a different reality. Like a train heading down the track, switches are thrown, and the destination may change. No one destination is better than another. Each will yield a different set of events. But since the goal is always the same, each has the potential to get you where you need to go. The next Eckhart Tolle Dr. Klein loves to write. In his book, through his fictional character, Franklin Rock, he teaches the reader about the gift of honest integrity, honesty, integrity, friendship, forgiveness, and the importance of keeping perspective and sometimes a sense of humor to get through it all. Mark E. Klein, MD, is a physician, a physician and author. His career has been centered on caring for others, whether they be patients colleagues or strangers. He is always a teacher, sometimes of new medical technologies to other physicians from, from around the nation and the world, other times of those even more important issues of life that none of us can avoid. He continues to practice medicine in Washington, D.C. Franklin Rock is his third book and his first novel. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Good morning, Randy. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. My pleasure. So your book is called Franklin Rock. Explain to us why that is the name of the book, why you chose that name. Oh, that's, <laughs> that might be the least important, uh, least interesting part of the story. But uh, the short answer is uh, I won't tell you exactly where I heard the name, but uh, somebody I knew had uh, – whose last name was Rock, um, I had met, and they had, they had a, a, a family member uh, named Frankie. And it just, in my head, I was just thinking about the name one day, and it changed, it morphed into Franklin. I went, Franklin Rock, that, that's a great name for a character. So it's really <laughs> not that complicated. That's kind of okay. how it happened. Okay. And so um, tell us a little bit about, um, I know your story is um, just, there's a lot of interesting uh, events throw, you know, woven into this story, but give us an idea of what the book is about. I will. Uh, Franklin Rock is a story. Let me just, let me preface it by saying it's not your typical novel. 
So if people are looking for a romance novel or an action novel or a mystery novel, murder, mystery, whatever, this isn't it. Uh, this book I like to describe, I have an analogy that in some ways is terrible, but I'll give it to you anyway. Uh, I, I look at this book as, as ice cream with vegetables in it. So the reason it's, it's, the reason it's a terrible analogy is because when you think about it, who really wants to eat ice cream with vegetables in it, right? So you think that would chase people away. But the concept is that it's, it's a lot of good stuff, some of which hopefully we'll talk about this morning, uh, inside something that's very sweet, meaning a story that's fun to read, that moves quickly, it's very interesting, lots of interesting characters. But it's not the kind of book you put down and you go, oh, that's nice, what's next? It's the kind of book you put down and go, wow, there are so many interesting concepts in this book that maybe one has never thought of or entertained. But there's a lot of uh, – I'm trying, I'm trying to deliver in this book uh, some very important concepts and themes, but in a way that, that's you know, easy to digest, let's put it that way, and fun to eat. <laughs> so the book, is about, the book is about the protagonist, Franklin Rock. Franklin starts off as a college student. And one day uh, in his last year of college, he has what can easily be described as an epiphany. All of a sudden, he has this image in his mind, this vision, actually, more than an image, a vision that his life is going to be something quite amazing. Not, not so much fun or entertaining or fulfilling, but amazing. And that he realizes that there's something special about what he is, what he is to do in his life. And rather than be petrified, which most of us might be at a moment like that, He's, he's energized and, in fact, realizes he's about to undertake a journey that he has no idea what it's about, why he's doing it, or where he's going. But he just, he just knows it's going to be something that's, that's going to be unique. Uh, and so we follow Franklin through the early part of the book uh, at, as he finishes college and learns that uh, what this is all about, actually, is that he has a mission. And I don't give too much away, but, but to put it simply, Franklin learns that his mission is nothing less than to fix the world. No small challenge. Uh, fortunately, he meets a, a mentor, one of his college professors, who turns out to be a fascinating character in his own right, uh, much more than meets the eye. And he guides or guides Franklin through this journey. Wait, let me just uh, interrupt you. You're, you're breaking up a little bit. We're getting, really? I'm, yeah. Well, that is, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. How about now? No. Is that okay? You can't hear me? You were fine initially, and then it started to break up. All right. Uh, can you hear me now? Still breaking up. Well, we have a choice. <laughs> Would you like me to call from another number, a landline? Yes. Let, let's try that. Okay. Yeah, the landline will be better. Let's try that. I'll be right back. Okay. Thanks. Hang on, hang on to that thought. Yeah, when they call in with cell phones, it's um, it can be very iffy. So I prefer people call in from landlines, but so many people don't have them. So this is what I run into quite often. So we're just waiting for Mark to call back in. This book is, he meets a lot of interesting characters. Oh, here he is. Okay. Okay. Okay, that should be better. <laughs> All okay, right. Okay, can you hear me now? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm so sorry. I've not had that happen before. So I apologize to, to you and everybody listening. No problem. Okay. okay. So uh, let's go back to Franklin. I'm not sure where you lost, but Franklin uh, learns he has this mission, which is to fix the world. He meets uh, his mentor, a college professor who, as I mentioned, is uh, an incredible character on his own. And he helps guide Franklin along this path towards uh, 
understanding his mission, which is not an easy thing for him to do, and also, of course, uh, figuring out how he's going to complete this uh, incredibly challenging mission. And so we follow Franklin out of college and into his uh, young adulthood, and uh, along the way he meets some very, very interesting people, and he learns some very interesting uh, things about, about life, about the world. There are lots of good, wonderful messages in this book, some delivered by uh, a, a character named Maurice Burnside, who is worth mentioning. Maurice Burnside is an elderly African-American man who Franklin meets, and the two of them end up developing this incredibly close relationship over a very short period of time. And Maurice uh, literally becomes Franklin's alter, uh, alternative mentor and, and teaches him so many important lessons about life uh, that will carry Franklin forward. Franklin also, later in the book, gets the chance to meet some very interesting people in history. And the reason he can do that is because one of Franklin's uh, skills, talents, or powers, depending how you want to look at it, is that he can travel in time. Time is a very important uh, theme in this book, and we'll, hopefully we'll be able to get into that and explain why, that, why that's so important in understanding our own lives. Uh, but Franklin does have this ability. He, he meets Albert Einstein. He meets uh, the famous Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung. And he meets Frank, uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. And those chapters, I think, are some of the most interesting in the book. Okay, so now you you um, teased us. Why is time so important in our lives? Ah, so this is one of my favorite <laughs> topics. And it okay. turns out that most of us, and I certainly don't mean to insult anybody, but most of us don't really understand how time works. So uh, if, if I would ask most people to explain, to describe time, they probably draw a standard timeline, the kind we learn in school, where on the left side is the past and you have – the moment of now right in the middle, and then to the right is a blank piece of paper. Blank, it's a blank sheet or just a blank line. Call, we call that the future. Uh, and that everything in the past, everything to the left of now, which kind of be grayed out, something we can't access. We call it history, but it's more of a memory. It teaches lessons, but you can't access it because it's the past. It's gone. Well, that's not how time works at all. And the way time works, this comes not from me, this comes from Albert Einstein, uh, one of the most brilliant people, uh, scientists ever, certainly of the last century. And the way time works is better off to be thought of like this. Imagine a giant jukebox. I think everybody listening knows what a jukebox looks like. And let's just say that each record represents, instead of a song, we're going to say it represents a moment in time. So we have all these moments in time, and we're going to put them together in chronological order so that the oldest moment of time is to the left, and, the, and then we move forward. But the interesting about this thing about this jukebox, it doesn't just have the, those moments of time, those records from the past. It also includes all the records and moments of time in the future. Because here's, a, here's a, something that most people don't know. The future has already occurred. Now, this is not metaphysics or some wonderful uh, theme I'm using for a novel. No, no. All of time exists, and this is the byproduct, this knowledge is the byproduct of Einstein's theory of relativity, which fortunately we will not get into today. But take my word for it, that's how it works. All time exists in that sense contemporaneously. Well, that has so many implications, and I'll tell you one of my favorite implications, especially now during this pandemic. You know, there's been so much loss during the pandemic. We, you know, we've seen half, almost half a million people in this country have, have died and certainly millions around the world. So there's just been a lot of loss. And, uh, of course, the other diseases that have plagued man uh, have not uh, vanished. In other words, cardiovascular disease did not say to the pandemic, to the coronavirus, tell you what, 
you kill 500,000 people this year, I'll just take the year off. <laughs> All those people who normally die of cardiovascular disease, that half a million people a year in this country, unfortunately are still succumbing, as are people from all the diseases we know about cancer and so on. So let's just say there's been a lot of loss. But as it turns out, when you understand how time works, there's an incredibly comforting conclusion. Remember, every moment of time exists contemporaneously, which means it never goes away. So if we go back to the jukebox, when you play that first record, after that record plays, what happens to it? Does it explode? Does it melt? Does it vanish? No, of course not. It goes right back into its original slot. And that's how every moment of time is. No moment of time ends. It lives on in perpetuity in its own slot, in its own slot in the jukebox, or what we would call what Einstein would call space time. In other words, think of a moment you had when you were a child with your family. Well, whatever it was you're doing, let's say you were at the, you were at the, at the ocean, let's say you're going in the water, or you were going bowling, you were having a picnic, you're still doing it. That moment never actually goes away. It lives on in perpetuity, in, in, in eternity. So when you think about that, since every moment never dies, it always lives on, and so do all the people that are involved in that moment, we never really lose anyone. The concept of death is quite different when you understand how time works. And especially in a time like this, when there's so much loss, so much death, to understand that we never really lose anyone, anyone, that in a very, very real sense, in a scientific sense, nobody ever really dies in the sense that we think they do. They're never gone. They're always alive in all those moments of their life. And I find that fact of science, that fact of time, to be extremely comforting, especially at a, in a time like now. It is very comforting. Um, and I, like, I really like that you brought the scientific aspect of it because – there is a lot of metaphysical explanation for all of this as well, but time is really a man-made, you know, the clock and time, linear time is really a man-made um, concept. So, because all time is, time is all time, you know, past, present, and future. So it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around that. It's, so how does Franklin use this concept so Franklin has the ability, as I mentioned, to travel in time. And since all time really does exist, it's not as far-fetched as it sounds. So, but this is not necessarily a time travel book. Time travel for Franklin is a vehicle. It's a vehicle to learn about uh, uh, some of the concepts I talk about in the book and also concepts about life, things like honesty and integrity and love and uh, you know, all the things that as human beings we, you know, we all need to learn. Uh, and so Franklin's ability to, to go back in time and even forward in time at some point in the book allows him to discover things about himself, about the world, uh, and helps him move towards that ultimate goal, which is, again, his mission, which is to fix the world. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is how long were you formulating this story in your mind how long is this something you've been working on for a long time or did it sort of come to you you know as a physician let me just talk about that for a second as a physician my job like all physicians is to help people right to get people through difficult times to find answers to, to provide solutions you know just the reasons that all all everybody goes to the doctor but patients think of the relationship with a doctor as a one-way street meaning I have a problem, I ask the doctor, the doctor gives me the information I need, and so the, the person benefiting primarily is the patient. 
But that's not really true. And I can tell you from my experience as a doctor, it's a two-way street. And I cannot tell you every day how much I get out of talking to patients. I've probably seen in my lifetime, my career, about 100,000 people, most of them for a very short time. Uh, but when you meet that many people and you listen to that many stories, you find that that this, the power you have as a physician is not based on the medicines you can give or the treatments you can give as much as anything else on the on the uh, willingness to listen, to show compassion, to hold a hand. These are, these are really magical gifts. And as a physician, to me, this has been what I call the golden handcuffs of medicine. It's what keeps me coming back every day to work, and I think most doctors. So that desire to help, that desire to be, to be uh, useful to other people is overwhelmingly powerful. And I think one of the great drivers of, of humanity. So since I was doing this one at a time over all these years, I, I just had this sense that I wanted to expand that ability to reach out and help people. And I thought, well, how, how can I do this? And I decided that, and I've written two nonfiction books, but I decided that maybe writing a book with the similar themes, but again, putting it in the ice cream, putting it into a really good story, might be a good way to get some of these themes out to more people, uh, in a larger audience. And so this has been brewing in my mind for about seven or eight years, uh, which is when the idea of Franklin Rock came about. And I've been taking notes. This is the way I write. I took notes and notes and notes for years and had written some of the early chapters. And then what happened? Last March, COVID hit. And all of a sudden, a lot of doctors like me found we couldn't go into the office and see patients. We couldn't do our jobs. So all of a sudden, I had a lot more time. And I decided to take all those notes I'd written and, and start continuing from the early chapters I had already written and finish Franklin Rock, which is, which is what I did. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I want to talk about the quote that I basically opened up with. There is no such thing as the best or the right choice. Um, you say when a choice is made, it initiates a cascade of downstream events, each of them which in turn collides with and affects the choices made by countless others. There is simply no way to know the ultimate outcome of any choice. So what are you telling us here? So let me tell you a good story. This is actually in one of my other books. So uh, imagine there's a, there's a businessman who's working in Philadelphia, and he comes out of his office at the end of the day to go home, and as he walks out of his building, uh, he, has, he stops and he thinks, because his, his parking garage is to his right, uh, but he realizes he ran out of shaving cream, and so he figures, I'll, I'll get some shaving cream before I go home, and the pharmacy is to his left. And then he says, gee, you know, i got to be home for a meeting tonight. All right, do I have time? He looks at his watch and says, okay, I have time if I hurry. So instead of going to the right, to his parking garage, he goes to the left towards the pharmacy, and he starts jogging down the street because he's in a hurry. He gets to the end of the street, and he trips and knocks over an elderly woman. She falls, hits the ground, and sadly breaks her hip. Her daughter, who has to come now take care of her, lives on the other side of the country. So her daughter leaves her home, leaves her husband and her young uh, teenage children, and flies to Philadelphia to take care of her mother. In the meantime, the husband and the two children are on their own. The husband still has to go to work, which he does, and the children decide one night, since they're young, the young the teenagers, young teenagers, that they will make dinner for their father and help him out. So they put a pot of water on the stove to boil some water from pasta. They can make that. And they don't realize that there's a dish towel sitting next to the gas burner. Boom, up in flames goes the dish towel, starts a small fire in the kitchen. 
they call the fire department, fire department comes, puts out the small fire, nobody's hurt, everything's okay. Just then the father walks in from work, sees what's going on, obviously is relieved that nobody's injured, and, no, and looks at the fireman and says, hey, I know you. And the fireman says, yeah, we went to high school together. And they just hadn't seen each other in years. They decide they're going to get together. Two weeks later, the mother comes home after taking care of her mother, who's recovering from her hip surgery. Uh, and so the father says, I'm going to go meet my fireman friend from high school. So he so the fireman uh, and the man make a and the husband make a uh, a plan to meet a restaurant. The fireman drives to the restaurant, parks two blocks away, and as he's walking, he sees smoke coming out of a uh, a row house. Runs across the street, smashes down the, the door of the row house, rescues a five-year-old girl stuck on you know, sitting under a table, hiding from the flames. And that young girl grows up to discover a cure for malaria, and millions and millions of children are, worldwide are saved. So, okay. Okay. so we, what happened? A man decides instead of making a right turn to go to his parking garage, goes to the left to get shaving cream. And because of that one decision, a cure for malaria is developed years later and millions of children's lives are spared. And that is how the world works. So here's another analogy. Imagine that when you make a decision, imagine it as a bubble, a little bubble, like a soap bubble or a bubble you might blow. So you make the decision, and out from your body comes this bubble. As soon as that bubble gets out of your body, what's going to happen? The billions of other bubbles coming from the billions of other people on this planet are going to start banging into your bubble, and your bubble is going to be buffeted left, right, up, and down. You have no idea what's going to happen to that bubble or where it's going to go, and that's how our choices are. We make a choice. There's a famous uh, former baseball player, uh, Yogi Berra, and Yogi Berra played for the New York Yankees for many years, but he's probably, and he was a fantastic baseball player, made the Hall of Fame, but he's probably best known for his malapropisms. Yogi Berra said a lot of funny things, but he said them all inadvertently. And one of the most famous ones he said was, when you get to the fork, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. Of course, you know, everybody starts <laughs> laughing. You know, what do you mean, take it, right? But Yogi wasn't too far off from the truth, because when you get to the fork in the road, you have no idea what's going to happen when you take the left fork or the right fork. It's your bubble. It's going to get buffeted by the billions of other choices. There is no way to know what is the best choice. In fact, it's a silly question to ask. There's no such thing as asking what is the best choice. The only thing you know is that each choice you make will create a different set of results, a different set of experiences for you and everybody else. And some will be good and some will be bad. So when you're confronted with a choice, I'm not talking about whether or not to shoot somebody. I'm talking about things like, should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I go to this college or that college? You know, anything, any choice you can think of, you have no idea what the outcome of that choice is going to be. And to me, that is an extremely liberating concept also. Once you realize that, all the pressure's off. Make what you think is the best, better choice. And don't think about it for a second, because as soon as that bubble is released from your body, it is out of your control. Hmm. That is so interesting and so true. You know, a lot of people uh, will say, well, you know, I was in this terrible marriage, you know, because I do narcissistic abuse work, and I was in this terrible marriage, and why did I have to go through this? But then, but I have these beautiful children as a result of it. So, you know, I can see where that can relate because you're right. They made a choice and they got into a a bad situation, but they ended up with beautiful children and those children can go out into the world 
and make other choices. So it it is we can definitely definitely apply this. So is there so if the choices we make um in the examples that you gave, they sort of got out, they left us and began to affect the universe or the universe that we live in, the earth. What about making choices that affect us? So in other words, we don't know whether to take a job and maybe, or we don't know whether to leave our job or take a new job. So how do we, how do we navigate that process? So there's a chapter in the book where Franklin's talking to uh, uh, a, a woman friend of his, and they talk about exactly that topic, right? And she's trying to decide which job to take after college, right? And Franklin tells her sort of what I've just explained that there's that you really that you don't really have to worry about it because there's no way to know. She kind of in the beginning misinterprets it and thinks Franklin's telling her to take to, to follow her passion, but he's not really telling her that. He's telling her that there's no way to know what the right thing to do is, so you might as well follow your passion because you don't know what's, how things are going to work out. There's no way. You know, I was driving to work years ago, uh, and I had the radio on. I was listening to the news, and uh, a, a lawyer, I think it was a lawyer, was driving uh, and a truck on an overpass that was carrying lumber overturned, and amazingly, one of these large pieces of lumber happened to fall at exactly the moment that this man was traveling under that part of the roadway, and it crushed, it crushed his car, and he was instantly killed. That guy got into the car that morning, like everybody else, to go to work, thinking about what he was going to do, thinking about his kids, his wife, whatever he was thinking about, right? But it was a typical day, and in an instant, right, only because he either he lingered a little too long at work at home before leaving, or he or uh, the, the truck driver you know stepped on the gas a little faster. Whatever. Just imagine what it took to get those two events to occur simultaneously. Pure, random, incredibly unlucky moment. But that's what happens. There's no way to know. There's no way to predict. There is no such thing as a best choice. There is no such thing as a right choice. There is no such thing as a best life. It doesn't work that way, which brings us to another theme, which is what in the world are we doing on this planet anyway, right? <laughs> is there a purpose to life? Why are we here? I mean, for God's sakes, if all these crazy things to ha- can happen, is there a point to all this? Is this just a giant chemistry experiment? Is it all just randomness? A lot of physicists would tell you yes, but I think our experiences tell us something else. Not quite, not so fast, right? There's something I describe called the Franklin Rock moment. It's not a new concept, but I'll tell you what it is. A Franklin Rock moment, my definition of a Franklin Rock moment is when uh, a hint of the mystery of the universe is suddenly and unexpectedly revealed. So what does that mean? We might call these incredible coincidences, and we all have them. So something happens where you're thinking about somebody you haven't seen in 20 years, and all of a sudden that you know, you get a letter in the mail or that person calls you or whatever. I mean, all these kind of crazy, crazy experiences, right? But they're little, they're little windows into, the, into what's really happening in the world. They're little windows into this underlying layer of, of life. You know, life, I like to say life is a veneer. If you just go just a, a couple of millimeters under the, under the veneer of life, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. Some of, like I just talked about, like time, how crazy that is, or this idea of choices. 
It's kind of crazy when you think about that, too. But there's another story to life, and I think all these are clues that point us to to something more important, to something that there is another story, you know, that there is a reason we're here. There is something going on underneath that layer of, of what we call reality. And I think these these moments point us towards that. You're absolutely right. So how does this work in medicine when you're dealing with a patient, when you're dealing with a life that could potentially save or not save a life? Right. How do you, you're, yeah. you're, that's an excellent question because you're right. All th- these things I'm talking about don't just relate, refer to you know, the insignificant, the mundane, the unimportant, like having lunch somewhere. They also relate to the things you're talking about, you know, life, what we would call life and death issues. You know, when you, if you practice medicine long enough, you realize that it's very humbling, extremely humbling. At any moment, literally anything can happen. Every doctor tries his or her best, right? We want to get it right. We want to do the right thing. A, we're going to make mistakes, no doubt about it. 100% of doctors will make mistakes, 100%. There's no such thing as a doctor doesn't make a mistake. Or there are unexpected consequences of what you do, right? So you, you do the same thing again and again, and one day something terrible happens to a patient. You're thinking, how the heck did that happen? So we, we do this all the time, and boom, because because patients are not robots, they have you know, you have immune systems. Of course, this is very uh, in, in, in play right now during the vaccination season, you know, how people are going to react to vaccines. So patients react differently to all kinds of the same treatment. So the point I'm trying to make is that there are, it's, imagine like there's, a, you know, 100 plates, you know, 100 balls in the air, and you're trying to juggle these balls, and as hard as you try, some are going to hit the ground. Things happen, and we, you have to be very humble as a physician. You always want to do your best. You always want to try as hard as you can, but you have to brace yourself because if you've been, once you've done this for a relatively short period of time, things are going to happen that are going to make you sad. They're going to surprise you. They're going to disappoint you. But on the other hand, the flip side, you're going to have some incredibly wonderful, fulfilling breathtaking moments where where you've made a huge difference in somebody's life you've changed the outcome for somebody you've you've taken a frown and turned it into a smile you've made tears of you created tears of joy instead of tears of sorrow it it truly is a magic profession but you have to be you have to understand that you that don't take yourself too seriously which is true for all people there's only so much you can do and the universe is going to unfold in ways that you cannot predict so true that, this is a great message for perfectionists uh, because perfectionists are people who like to control. They can, like to control the outcome, and they worry about everything that they do, that it's right. So if, if a perfectionist can, let, can grasp this concept, it could be very liberating, I agree. Well, you're talking to somebody who fits exactly what you just described because I've spent, you know, I, I like to control, especially, you know, you're a doctor, you want to control it all. And uh, I've learned a lot from my wife, who's, uh, who's not a physician, who's taught me a lot of these things about, about life, who, who allow, who's very um, incredibly open, incredibly uh, uh, accepting. I think that's the most important, patient and accepting. And you have to learn that. And I think, you know, some people are fortunate and they learn it early in their lives, and their lives are a lot easier. And there are people like me <laughs> who, who struggle with this for years and years until finally getting banged over the head enough times with a frying pan, realize, hello, that's not how the world works. You know, you, you need to bring, you need to raise your level of humility considerably. You need to be humble. You need to 
and, it, and you need to accept. You always try and do the best you can, but it's not always going to work out. But that's not as bad as it sounds because I also have come to believe, and I tell you this as a science person, I, I was always the greatest skeptic about, uh, you know, if I couldn't see it and feel it and you know, measure it, it, didn't, it wasn't real. But as, I've, as you can tell from our conversation, I've changed. I've begun to, I learned to accept the fact that there's a lot more that we can't see. Here's a simple analogy. When you walk in a room, you turn on the lights, and you, know, you have the overhead lights, whatever, lamps, and you see the, there's paintings on the wall, you see the furniture, you see maybe there's some people in the room, whatever. But what you don't see is all the electromagnetic radiation the ultraviolet, the infrared, the x-ray, the gamma rays, the radio waves, the television waves, the, you know, you name it. The place is packed full of all kinds of electromagnetic waves from your, you know, from your phone and your iPad and your computer and your television and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. So once you realize that there are things that we can't see that are very, very real, you can start to extrapolate that and go, now, wait a minute. Maybe there's a lot of other things going on that, I can't feel and I can't understand. And, you know, for instance, I used to think of uh, what you might call Sears, fortune tellers, Nostradamus type things, and I would just laugh that stuff off. And I'd say, how can anybody see what hasn't happened? And then I learned about time. And I learned that the future has already happened. Well, once, that, once you get that concept in your head, you go, well, hmm, if the future's already happened, then I guess it might possibly be possible for some people somehow to see that future. Right? So all of a sudden you have to change your conclusions. You can't be so dogmatic. You must be more, if you're really a science person, you have to be open to the evidence. And though the evidence is not, you know, super concrete in many ways, you know, all of us have a sense, all of us have a sense sometimes that there's just something else going on in this world. You know, those Franklin Rock moments I talked about. And so I think, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I had to come from being a person who wanted to control everything and to somebody who was a, a lot more accepting and a lot more open to the things that I couldn't know and I couldn't see. That certainly does make life easier. It really does. And it's very hard for a physician who you are scientifically trained. You're trained um, to make decisions based on statistics and everything is proven, you know, and you're not really making decisions if, if it hasn't been scientifically proven. But as you go on, you know, I think of this because my son is a surgeon. He's a third-year surgical resident. And he, I raised him very holistically. I raised him with a very, very open mind. But as he went through school, as he went through medical school and began his surgical career, his mind sort of narrowed a bit because he had to focus on what the facts are, what he learned. And I found that really interesting because I know he is of a different mindset, but in his career, he was, he needs to be more scientific. So I've seen this happen and I'm somebody who is just open to everything. You know, I really believe that, that, dimensions are on top of dimensions and everything's kind of out there. So I ride the waves of life, (laughs) which makes life a lot easier. So I wanted to ask you, so many people beat themselves up over choices they make. They're, I should have, I could have, why didn't I, why did I? Because they, they don't like what happened. 
after they made these choices. So how do we convince these people that they're actually, that these choices were actually okay when the outcome really doesn't feel so great? I, well, first thing I would say is let's go back to the, to the lawyer who was driving to work and had the lumber fall on his car and kill him instantly. So he made a choice, right? He made a choice when to leave, where to go, what route to take, and so on and so forth. And it didn't work out so well. But he had no way to know ahead of time, right? No way to know. That's the thing. It's impossible to know. You have to give up that sense that, that if I make this choice, things, if I made that other choice, it would have been better, right? If you made that other choice, you might have gotten hit by a piece of lumber coming out of a truck. You don't know. It's impossible to know. You know, here's another analogy. It's a it's a sports analogy that I, I've used in the past. So imagine, you know, let's take a football game. So your team, you're watching your football game and your favorite team is playing, and it's a very close game. And at the end of the game, the very last play, the quarterback on your team throws a pass to one of your guys in the end zone, and the guy has it in his hands and then drops it, and you lose the game. And if you had caught it, you won the game. You go, ah, oh, if only he had caught that last pass, we would have won. Ah, but you can't do that. If you're going to replay that play, you have to replay the entire game. That's the point. You don't get to replay only one play. You have to go all the way back to before the, that one of those forks in the roads and play the whole thing again, and you have no idea what's going to happen, right? Supposing we did that, and it turns out the quarterback has his leg broken, right? I mean, there's no way to know. You can't look at life that way because that's – it's not that you can't. It's that it's foolish to because the facts are the facts. You, when you get to a fork in the road, take it, just like Yogi Berra said, because you have no idea which, what's going to happen in either one. You don't get to replay only one minute or one hour or one decision. You must replay all of it, and you have no idea what will happen. I, and there is no such thing. There is no such thing as the hist- in the history of our planet of an event that yielded only horrible results. Nothing. The Holocaust, you can name it. I don't care what you pick. You know, it might be that, it, you know, that it's for every good thing, a thousand bad things happened. But it, the number of good things that come out of something is never zero. And because of that, that one little good thing that came out could be the nidus for some unbelievably fantastic thing for humanity going down the road, like the little girl who gets saved from under the table, right? And you, you talked about, you know, people who have uh, – have these horrible marriages, but they end up having kids. And you, you alluded to this before very wisely that you, know, you don't know what those kids are going to do and what their kids are going to do and what their kids are going to do. So the future of the world is impossible to predict because of all those little bubbles coming out of everybody. So it's, I don't just tell people like you have just mentioned to let things go because it's better for them. The reason to let decisions go is because it's impossible to know the outcome of any one. As much as you think you can, you cannot, because all the other bubbles, all those other choices made by all the billions of people on the planet are going to bombard your bubble and, you, and knock it places you can never imagine. So the, the truth is, make a decision, let it go. That's it. Mm. There's no other way to, that makes any sense the way the world works. Right. And that is, that's a challenge for many people, but what you're saying makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to me. So many people are, they look at hindsight. I, when they look back, they can see, because when you do look back, you can see what you've done that maybe you would have made a different choice about. Uh, there's, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks. 
you know. Um, of course. You know, a lot of people. I'll give you do another that. example. So yesterday morning, I was pulling into my parking garage at work, which I've pulled into thousands and thousands of times. And I'm going around, and somehow I managed to smack, smash into one of the pillars. Now, I've driven this garage thousands of times. I've never done that. I did it yesterday. So my first reaction, and it, maybe years ago my action would have been I would have ruined my day. It would have just ruined my day. You know, it's going to cost me a couple thousand dollars, whatever it is. And just the whole idea of, you know, like smashing up your car, nobody likes that. Nobody feels good about that. So the old me would have just been, you know, upset and, you know, complaining or whatever. The new me says, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what, will, what, will, uh, what the future will yield because of this. So I'm mm-hmm. going to have to go get an estimate. Who knows who I'll meet when I get the estimate? Maybe I'll, find, I'll learn something. Maybe I'll meet somebody interesting. I don't know what's going to happen, right? Maybe because I can't use my car, I won't drive, and I will have avoided a fatal accident. That's possible too, right? So, you, so now I look at it and go, well, it's just an event, all events. It's going to sound crazy. I know, Randy, it's going to sound crazy. But in a very real sense, all events are equivalent because they all will lead to some alternative future, and you cannot predict what it is. So now when things happen, you just have to kind of go, well, that happened. Now what? Let's see. It's an adventure. We don't know how it's going to turn out. It could be great. It could stink. But even if it stinks, something good will occur anyway. And that is a much healthier way to live, and it's a much more correct way to live. So how wonderful is it when, the, when a correct way to live turns out to be a healthier way to live? What a win-win situation. Oh, I, I so agree with you. I love this conversation. This is, this is really so, so cool. So there, I've seen, in my lifetime, I've seen people who get, all of a sudden they get, thrown out or fired from a job that they loved and they don't know why and it they have no idea what happened or they get into a situation that they're 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 thinking they'll stay in and then all of a sudden they're out of it and they they're like well wait a minute what happened and what i've noticed time and time again it's like the baby bird being pushed out of the nest there's something else waiting for them. There's a reason. Sometimes we cling to things that are wrong for us. And the universe or whatever force there is sort of pushes us out. And we don't know why, but then we find something better. Um, So have you seen this? Well, thank you very much because you just described beautifully my book, Franklin Rock. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't have done it better myself. I really appreciate it. That was lovely okay. because that is okay. exactly the point, right? Okay. The universe has pushed, pushed Franklin into a place he had no, didn't anticipate, wasn't looking for, didn't want, and lo and behold, here this young kid has just learned, learns over a course of time that not only is life going to be different, his job is to fix the world. Well, mm-hmm. truth is, everybody's job is to really to fix the world, isn't it? Right? So... When you, as you boil that, as I've gone through this thought process over years, again, we're starting with a guy who's a science guy, right? You're looking at somebody who's skeptical about everything. But as, as life has unfolded and I've been willing to open my eyes and stop being so stubborn and to listen, you start to see that, that we are all probably pushed in ways that we didn't anticipate. You know, man plant, God laughs, right? Because 
there's there's another story. There's another story to life. I think I think if you don't, uh, I don't want to be too dogmatic, but for me, I personally feel that if you don't think there's another story, an underlying story to life, then you're not paying attention. It's everywhere. It bangs us over the head. This is what happens to Franklin. He gets banged over the head time and time again to re- until he realizes that yes. He is expected to, to, he does have a mission. He does need to fix the world. And along the way, he learns all, a lot of these th- lessons that we've just been discussing. And so it's a, it's a fun story about a fun character, but he's get, undergoing exactly what you just described, right? <laughs> Being pushed in a certain way. I'll tell you an interesting story from my own personal life. When I was, uh, I, I went to college young. I was only 16. So in my last year of college, I was 19. And I went home for Christmas vacation and my family didn't have any money. It was, uh, you know, we, we had enough to get by, but we never went, I never went on a vacation. We never went anywhere. Um, and my mother met me at the front door when I got home for, for Christmas break, and she had this funny smile on her face. And I'm thinking, oh, something great is going to happen. She's got a surprise for me. So she goes, so she follows me up to my room where I had my suitcase, which I thought was a little unusual, but I could tell she wanted to talk to me. And she still had this strange smile on her face. Uh, which in retrospect I understand, I understood a little bit later. But at the moment I thought, oh, something great's going to happen. And I, she sits me down, and I thought she was going to say, guess what, for the first time we're going to go away over spring vacation, we're going to go on a trip. Well, that's not what she told me. What she told me was that my father had cancer. <gasps> so I went from thinking, oh, my God, something really fun's going to happen to my father has cancer. So my father uh, was ill for the next, off and on for the next 18 months, and he, uh, and for most of it, he didn't do very well, and then he passed away. So here I am now, 20 years old, uh, and my mother had to sell our house because we didn't have any money, and she ended up moving down to Florida. So here I am at 20, 21 years old, suddenly all by myself in the world. Not exactly what I anticipated, and I felt very sorry for myself, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? Who's going to help me? I need somebody to help me. Where am I going to get the help from? Well, long and short of it is, I turned that into being the person who helps everybody else. That's become mm-hmm. my mission in life, to help people, both as a, as a physician. And I, I don't go a day without, without getting a phone call from somebody, either a doctor or a patient, a friend, a family member, somebody, asking for help. Well, to me, that's the greatest joy. That's a gift, right? That when, when doctors complain that they get, somebody calls them at night or on the weekend, that doctor has missed the point, completely missed the point. The point is if somebody calls you for help, that's an honor. They're saying, I trust you. What's, what's greater than that? So, yeah, maybe it's a little inconvenient sometimes, but what a, what a, what a bonus to be able to, to help people, to make a difference in people, to be somebody that people come to rather than you have to go to for help. I don't accept presents well. My wife says I'm the worst present acceptor she's ever met, met and swears she's never going to buy me another one because I'm not good at receiving. I'm addicted to giving, right? I'm not, a, I'm not a saint, believe me. I'm not trying to make it out that way. But the point is that, that you know, uh, this character in the book, Maurice Burnside, teaches Franklin a trick. He says, Franklin, I'm going to tell you this really cool trick. Here's the trick. When, you, when, you, when things are going bad for you, place other people's troubles ahead of your own, and the burden of your life will instantly lighten. That's the trick. When things go bad, when things are going poorly for you, go help somebody else. It'll turn your whole life around. What a great trick. And I've learned that trick, and I've embraced that trick. So I went from being somebody who's all by himself at the age of 20, 21. I wasn't 10 years old. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this. But, you know, I really wasn't cooked at that point. I wasn't baked as an adult. 
and I turned, it turns into I went from somebody who I thought was going to be super needy and who's going to help me to the person that helps everybody else. Right? Who anticipated that? What, what, what a world. What, what, you know, what, what a world. Mm-hmm. Right, what a li- what life is is unbelievable. If you're mm-hmm. open to it and and accepting, and you and just let it go mm-hmm. and realize there are no right choices, there is no single right path. If you married the wrong person, it's okay because it's gonna you, you've gotten other things out of this. Good things have happened. You may not even know about them for a while, or maybe ever, but I guarantee you they happened. So events are only that. They're events. They're not good events. They're not bad events. They're just events. And remember, if you lost your job, if you got fired from your job, you would tell me that story, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. else got your job, right? Somebody else got that job. So for somebody else, it was a godsend. And for you, it seems like a disaster. But the net to the universe was basically zero. One person's better, one person's worse. And the person (laughs) who's worse, they go on to do some fantastically wonderful things as a result of being liberated from that job. That's so true. <clears throat> you know, I, I've taught my children that the, the, the older you get, the more hindsight you have. And if you look in the past, you will see all the silver linings in the things that you thought were wrong. And so when you can look back at all those accumulated silver linings, then it helps you. The next time something happens, you go, okay, well, I see how everything sort of sorts itself out. And that's really the concept that you're saying. It all sorts itself out somehow. Somehow. It does. And there's one other thing we can throw into this whole mix, right? So we're just talking about the time we're here on this earth, right? Well, supposing it's not the whole show, right? Supposing it's the warm-up act or some (laughs) act in the middle we don't know. But let's just say Uh it's the warm-up act, right? So... That's another reason for definitely not taking this too seriously, right? It's, a, it's clearly, life is clearly an education. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Here's another theme that's in Franklin Rock. Check, listen to this for a second. So when we're young, right, we tend to do stupid things, right? Teenage boys drive at 100 miles an hour when they're eight, 17, 18 years old, right? You know, kids take, young adults take chances, right? So... If, if there was ever a time we needed to be most careful and most wise, it's when we're young. By the time we get older, right, let's say you're 80 and you fi- figure out, you know, um, you figure things out. Well, you know, how much more time do you have? 20 years if you're really lucky, probably less for most people. Whereas when you're 18, if you, were to, if you knew a lot more, wow, now you've got 80 years where it really would make a difference. So the idea that we're dumb when we're young and smart when we're old is completely backwards, if the purpose of life is to live as long as you can, if that's one of the goals, is to longevity, then the way the world works is completely upside down. We should be born with a, and get a manual when we're four years old, read the manual, this is how you should behave, don't take any chances, the unnecessary chances, blah, 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 and live to 100. But that's not what happens. We're complete dopes when we're young, and it's only when we're old when we have little time left that we actually know anything worthwhile. Well, You're that's right. upside down if the goal of life is to live as long as possible, but... Let's say we're warming up for something else. Let's say this education is not thrown out when, when we pass away. Hmm, that changes everything, right? Then the whole process of learning along the way makes a lot more sense. That's kind of an interesting clue, don't you think? Oh, it's an interesting clue. It's exactly how I think. <laughs> so my, my listeners know, I mean, I'm really, I'm really, really open to those kind of concepts, uh, where we go after this and... 
um, why we're here, Earth School, all those kind of things. I talk about that a lot because, yeah, I, I totally believe that, there, that we go on and on. So you're right. You're right. I'll give you now, another good think, analogy. Okay. Imagine because your son's in medical is a, is a resident, right? He's gone to medical school. Uh-huh. So imagine mm-hmm. he goes to medical school for four years. He's going to do at least five years of a surgery residency. Let's round it off to 10 years, right? He's going to spend right. 10 years learning how to do his profession. Now imagine right. after all that, they said, you know what? Great job. You were a terrific student. You're all done. Here, you know, here's a, here's a lifetime stipend. You don't have to work at all. Great job. You go, wait a minute. You spent 10 years practicing, learning how to do this, and you're not going to use it? That doesn't make any sense. No, who, that sounds ridiculous. Of course you're going to use it. Now he's going to hopefully go on to have a 50-year career. Well, that's kind of how life is. Imagine we learn all this stuff, and at the end we go, that, you, great education, nice work, you're done. No, no, that doesn't make any sense. Why do we bother right. learning all this stuff, right? Right, right, we do. And we learn to help other people because I'm like, you know, I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a helper. I'm a, I like to, I like to help people. I like to help people get better. Mental, mental health kind of stuff. So I just wanted to touch on one other thing before we finish. And so you were talking about coincidences that just are too unbelievable to, to say that it was a coincidence. So we're talking about synchronicity right here. You know, when you were talking about that, we're talking about synchronicity. And I believe that synchronicity is sort of a, a wink from the universe saying, okay, this is the di- direction. You're either saying to you, you're, you're on the right path because you're sort of seeing, they're showing you this coincidence happens. So what I've always done is I sort of go in that direction. When I see, when I have a synchronicity or, or some kind of sign, I follow that direction because I believe that's the path of least resistance. What are your feelings about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree pretty much with everything you just said. You call it a wink. That's what I call a Franklin Rock moment. When a hint <laughs> of the mystery of the universe suddenly and unexpectedly revealed. You call it a wink, that's what I call it. Same idea, right? And I agree with you. It's a sense that you're on the right track right now. The trick is you don't really know what that track is, and you don't know when, how it's going to, who it's going to affect, when it's going to affect them, how it's going to happen. You have no idea. It's just telling you, you don't need to know all that, right? Just keep going. You're doing fine. Just keep going. Don't worry about whether you can actually see the result or what the result is. You may never know the positive result that occurs. It might happen to somebody on the other side of the world, right? You don't know, but I agree with you. I like that idea of a wink. That's, that's what I think. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, wow, we had a great conversation, didn't we? I did. I hope you did. Oh, I did. I did. I did. Thank you. This is so interesting. And, you know, for it, it, you talk about yourself as somebody who was not of this mindset and yet you have grasped so much of it. So it's been shoved down my throat by the universe. Yeah. It kind of does that, doesn't it? It kind of says, ha ha. You thought, you thought this was going to end this way, but ha ha, we have other but, plans uh-huh. for you. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> we have other plans for you. So that's right. Um, yeah, that's what Fra- happens to Franklin Rock. You know, it, this is a novel technically, but it's really, like I said, it's the vegetables and the ice cream. 
there's a lot of really good stuff in this book in a fun, pleasant way. I think people, you know, I loved writing this book. I love rereading this book. You know, it's, it, it, to me, again, remember, what's my goal? I'm kind of like Franklin Rock. I'm trying to make the world a better place. That's it. That's my entire agenda. That's what I'm here for. I think that's what most of us are here for, but, or all of us. But anyway, at least I can speak for myself. That's what I'm here for. And that's what I tried to do in this book, to give people optimism, because there's every reason to be optimistic, especially in a time like this. The, the universe is full of optimism. You may, it may not be clear. It may not be obvious, but it's there. Just, just keep going and don't worry. Good way to end this time. So Franklin Rock, Dr. Mark E. Klein, uh, where are your book is available through Amazon and all those online channels? Yep, for sure. Okay. And my perfect. website... My website is Mark E. Klein. That's M-A-R-K-E-K-L-E-I-N-M-D, MarkEKleinMD.com. They can get information there if they'd like. Okay, perfect, perfect. And you have other books that you we, – we can see what your other books are there. But I really like the way that you think. I like your philosophy, and I think it's just a, just a beautiful way to help people. I really, really appreciate that. So – I'm glad that we got this time together, really. I'm glad that your publicist contacted me and that we were we ended up getting this time together because I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I have to. Thank you so much, Randy. Okay. Have a good day. Take care. You too. Stay well. Thank you. You too. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.